After beginning his career as a performer, his friendship with John Kander and Fred Ebb helped him break into directing. And since then, he's staged a wide range of musical, dramatic, and comedic shows, ranging from She Loves Me, Company, and Curtains, to Twelve Angry Men, The Little Dog Laughed, the current The Understudy, and the upcoming Mr. and Mrs. Fitch. Welcome to the American Theatre Wing's Downstage Center. I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing, and I'm pleased to welcome Scott Ellis. Hi, Scott. Hey, how are you? So let's start with you got one show ending and another show beginning, which seems to be probably a part of your life as a fairly busy director. Um, so with the understudy, which is, which is wrapping up now, um, what drew you to that in the first place? Uh, I'm a, I'm a fan of Teresa Rebex and, uh, Nikki Martin, who runs the Williamstown Theater Festival, who I'm very good friends with. He called and we had been looking for something to do up at Williamstown and he called and said, I have this new Teresa Rebeck play. She'd like you to take a look at it. I think you'd be right for it. They sent it to me and I read it and, um. I liked it and so I said, great, let's go. And I love working at Williamstown because it's just a very low-keyed way to work on new place and just sort of the pressure isn't there. So I said, let's go up. It was always the intent that I would try to get it back to New York. So, But that was our first, our first stop, so to speak. And how much time elapsed between the time you did it at Williamstown and then brought it in here? It was a year, although I knew we were going to do it. I knew we were going to do it right after Williamstown. It was successful up there. We had people come to look at it. Todd Hames of the Roundabout Theater, which is where I'm an associate artistic director. I sort of had planned. I wanted it to come back to the Roundabout. He came up to see it. He said, I really like it. But just timing-wise and scheduling, we knew we wouldn't be able to do it for another year. So So as a result of the scheduling, you had done the show with one cast in Williamstown. And it's a completely different cast. No, it's a small cast, we should say. It's only three three actors. But you really were – doing it over again. You know, it's funny. It's the first time I've ever done that. Now, I've done tours, obviously, that you redo the whole cast, but I'd never done a play like that and then bring it to New York with a totally different cast, which was really, really interesting. It The play had been written for Julie White. She was going to do it at Williamstown, could not do it in Williamstown. So... I always knew that if we were going to bring it into New York, Julie would be doing it. So, and I had worked with Julie, so I knew that. Uh, Bradley Cooper did it for me in Williamstown. We're friends and I, he had a film. So I knew he wasn't going to do it. The only one I thought was going to do it was Reg Rogers who was doing it up there and chose to do something else. So I, the reality was, wow, I'm three brand new actors. But in the long run, that worked out great because we were able to really start fresh. When you did it at Williamstown, it was the premiere. Yes. So presumably, Teresa and you are shaping the show. Mm-hmm. The skills and personalities of the people you were working with would have had some impact on the new script. Yes. And then you start again, start again. with three different people. I yeah. mean, Kristen Johnston did it did up at Williamstown. Williamstown. A wonderful performer, but a very different type very than, say, different. Julie. So how much how much did it either change or not change at Williamstown because it was intended for Julie and she wasn't there? Right. Or how much did it, did it in fact change? Well, the first time when we did it at Williamstown, you know, you're, you always have the same situation, which you don't even know if it works. You know, you're just you're putting it up and you're thinking, I have no clue if this works in front of an audience. So – once you realized it did work, we shaped it. You know, yes, you shape it around the actors you're working with because you tend to do that because it's a collaboration. So you did did that. When I realized the play worked, I felt strongly and, and certainly the confidence that the play could work with other actors in it. And and when we started rehearsals in New York, it did start shifting. Teresa did some rewriting. Those three characters, actors are very different than the actors I had, and things shifted a little bit. What was interesting in Williamstown and both Teresa and I discovered is that the relationship between the two guys uh, was much stronger than what we had thought on page. And that was really fascinating, that you really cared about these two guys. 
we we were surprised by that. So we focused on that a little bit more in the when we sense got to that, New York. In the sense that you thought it was really a vehicle for the woman? It was really – that's what it felt like when you read it. She was the stage manager. She had the relationship with the two of them. And But you – once working on it, you realize, oh, no, these two guys have a relationship, you know, and, and a very strong one by the end. And it was – there's something sort of moving about it that they come to this – this understanding of who 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 they are and uh, and a respect, I guess, and that surprised us. So when we came to New York, I wanted to make sure that that uh, that the level stayed that way. That the that nothing that it was really became it was still a three character piece that you were interested in all three of them and not just the stage manager, which was at that point a very strong character. As I'm, as I'm thinking again about the show, um, I have to wonder, while theatrically the figure of a harried, frenzied stage manager is actually not unique. I suddenly started thinking in Noises Off, you've got to – but I'm just wondering if your stage manager on the show said, you know, this woman would <laughs> never make it in our profession. <laughs> Julie would always turn around and, and, uh, and say, is this what you do? Is this what you do? The difference with that character, if you're looking at it, is when she's dealing with the actual show and the people around it, she's actually semi-calm, semi, you know, I know what I need to do. What's throwing her off is the relationship of this ex coming into the picture. Any other time, I think any other day we would see her, I think she'd be totally fine. She's a good stage manager. But today's a different day because the ex has shown up who happens to be in the understudy. So that's thrown her. Uh, you're right. It's a good question as far as no. If I had a stage manager who was really losing it, no, they wouldn't be around very long. <laughs> Not long. And as I said, you were on the cusp now of just beginning Mr. and Mrs. Fitch for second stage. Right. Now, that's another show that had originally been announced previously yes. and was delayed. And were you doing it originally? Oh, yeah. yeah, we we've we've – we let Carol Roth in second stage. We laugh. We said, I, we, I don't think we've ever worked longer on a show or had more readings. And we had two challenges. It's a two-character play. I said from the very beginning, you can't just have one. You have to have both, obviously. You know. So what happened is we, we would do a reading. We would offer it to somebody. They would say yes. And then it was now who are we getting for the other role? And the matching was really, really difficult. So we just kept getting close and then not finding the other match. Or we got close and then the person that we offered it to all of a sudden couldn't do it. It was rough. And and then I got an opportunity to executive produce Weeds on Showtime. And, and I said to Carol, listen, this is an opportunity I'd like to do. I'm not going to walk away from the play because I'm committed to it. But the reality is if we can't cast it in this particular set of time. I'm going to go do that job and we're going to have to go back to it. We couldn't cast it. I went on to do Weeds. And what was great about it is that then it ended up we were able to get the cast we have. We would never have gotten that cast had we gone that time. And we should say that the cast of two that you've gotten is John Lithgow and Jennifer Ely, yeah. which is terrific. Not bad. Now, again – haven't had a chance to see the show or read the show. Right. It's a Doug Carter Bean play. I assume it is heavily comic. Yeah. John Lithgow doing comedy is not a surprise to me. I'm not sure I've seen or am aware of Jennifer Ely really doing something that presuming that it's in, in Doug's usual style can be as as laugh out loud uproarious as, as he can be. Is it – do you think it's going to be an adjustment for her? You know what? I think she's a she, – not think. Jennifer Ely is a great actress. Of course. And so when you – when she came in and she she did several readings for me. So uh, for the play and the first the first time she did the reading, I turned and went there. That's it. That's her. That's her. So I, uh, I – and I think that's one of the things that she wants to do. I think she wants to show people, hey, I can do this. I mean she's going to – you know, wear beautiful dresses and you know, modern and things that she, you know, people are not used to seeing her in. So, and Doug, Douglas, Douglas's writing is so unique and different, and, and it's so language oriented that you have to have people who really can under, can play with with words and language, and she does that great. So, the uh, I think the comedy will will might, might be a pleasant surprise for everybody. And it's interesting that the two most recent projects that we're talking about, both very intimate, a three-character and a two-character show. Yes. Do you try to balance between kind of the big-scale shows like a Curtains and, and intimate work? You know what? I Honestly, I don't 
I really always just go with the piece. If something something I read something, I like it, I rarely think, oh, it's a just a two character, it's a three character. I, I don't think of it that way. It's just the pieces that I like. I mean, there's things on my list of things that I'd like to do that are huge, you know, big. And uh so and obviously musicals for the most part are are, are larger than that, although they're certainly intimate ones. But uh, so it's not it's not something I'm conscious of. It's just I pick it up. I like it. I go for it. I'm, I just, you just asked me that and I realized there's another play that I'm thinking of doing in the fall, which is a two-character play. So I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> I hope I didn't maybe I'm falling up. into some trap here. I don't know. But You mentioned uh, in relation to uh, to the understudy that you were an artistic associate. At um, at the roundabout, or is it associate artistic director? Associate artistic director. Okay, I want to make sure I got that right. What does that role entail? Because certainly you direct there, but you direct commercially. You direct for other not for profits. What What's your I I function? have always said I have the best job ever because, and it all has to do with Todd Hames. Todd Hames runs the roundabout theater. Todd Hames makes the decisions. He he is it. I'm. I don't think I'm an associate like other theaters have associates, which works out well for Todd. It works out well for me. I could never go into a theater where that was the only place I could I could work. So that was an understanding from the very beginning. And he is so in, he encourages directors and certainly me to go and do work, do do other work. Uh, it boils down to I will – I can – that's why I said it's a great job for me. I can bring him things anytime I want to to say, can we take a look at this? He brings me things sometimes and says, take a look at this. And then we will discuss other you know, shows that we think might be good for Roundabout, other directors that might be good for Roundabout. Uh, but it's really it's it's tilted very heavily into Todd's uh, Todd's uh, Todd's area, and it should be. And he 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 is the roundabout theater. He runs the roundabout theater. That is why it's a success. I've been lucky enough to get on his coattails a little bit, and hmm. he gives me opportunities that other people would not have given me. I mean, he's given me every opportunity as a director to do all sorts of different work. So. Well, it's actually extraordinary as, as I was looking over all of the work you've done and then even if we just focus on the roundabout work, it's pretty eclectic and there's a few in there that I don't even think people may remember that mm-hmm. you did a production of Turgenev's A Month in the Country for Roundabout in 95, with a cast that included F. Murray Abraham, Helen Mirren and Ron Rifkin. Yeah. I mean for the people who think of you as a musical director or the people who think of you as doing small comedies, right. that – even comes out of left field, and that was fairly, relatively early in your directing yes, career. Very early, very early. How did you let? Let's talk about that right. for a minute, because how did suddenly someone who had been to doing point, musicals and had been a musical performer suddenly say, "I'm going to do a Turgenev play"? It's the one thing that I've been very. Very clear and focused on – doesn't mean I'm always successful at it. But the one thing that I said from the very beginning was I did not want to get pigeonholed in one thing. You, My first success, big success was She Loves Me. So all of a sudden you get every revival that comes along. I went, that's great. But you know what? I want to do – I want to do something new. I want to do a new musical. I want so it's that. Then you go into okay. I want to do a play. Picnic was the first thing that Todd Todd gave me an opportunity to do a play. It was Picnic, and uh, then it was a revival. And it was like okay, the revivals. And then it was like so. I'm constantly saying okay, that's great. Now I want to try something else. Hmm. Doesn't mean, uh, although I don't even know what success and failure is. To be honest with you, you know, you, you just do your work, but. It was important to me that I always had an opportunity to push myself and to try other things. That was to me. Sometimes it's it might be easier to say this is what this guy does. This is his niche. But I just never wanted it to be that. I just really wanted to to try and do other things. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, and Todd has been supportive as other people. Carol Rockman has been incredibly supportive of me doing other things and, and, and thinking of me – thinking out of the box a little bit and that's really important. One of the 
really one of the nicest experiences I had, and I've had so many, was a man who had all the luck, the Arthur Miller play. And that's something that Todd brought me, you know. And it's a wonderful play, a drama. It's a great piece. And it's Arthur Miller and working with Arthur. And, you know, I felt good at that time because it was a time when it was like, okay, now I'm being seen to, to uh, trying to do other things. And that's important. Well, we'll circle back to this, yeah. but let's let's jump to how you got started. You grew up in Washington, right. um, because you initially were a performer. Were you in high school thinking, "I want to be an actor"? I want to be an actor. There was never one time in my life that I didn't know what I was going to be. Not really? one. Not you, one. So directing was always the focus. No, acting in ah, the theater. Okay. I should say in the theater. So, okay, so yes. that was the yeah, total yeah, yeah. focus in the theater. To- theater was absolutely ever since I was. You know, in elementary school, I knew what I wanted to do. I often say to people, and sometimes I think, wow, it would be nice not to really know because I could have explored other things. But on the other side of the coin, I'm really lucky. I know people who are, you know, wander for years, and you know, I knew what I wanted to do. That was it, acting. So when I graduated from high school, I told my father and my parents, I said, I'm not interested in getting a degree. I have no interest in it because a degree is not going to get me acting work. You know, I need training. So I auditioned for schools that were – How did they respond? You know what? I I just – I got lucky. I had parents who always knew – saw that I loved it, saw that I was good at it, good enough at it and was very supportive. My, my father was a conservative, you know, Republican lawyer, you know, but loved that I did theater. He's the one that drove me to Chicago to audition for Goodman School of Drama and, you know, so they were always – unbelievably supportive. My mother always loved theater. So that was a given. So they were – I never had any problems. They were just always incredible. I mean I know that's unique and it's not always the case but I got lucky. So in high school, I decided I wanted to go to a professional acting school. Goodman was one of them. I auditioned for many schools. I loved Goodman. And then I went I went to uh, to Goodman. So what was – how long a program was that? Three years. Mm-hmm. Three years program and uh, and you know I was fresh from high school, getting an apartment by myself in Chicago, you know, and going to school, you know, and and studying acting. And they, they had no musical theater there; they had nothing. It was only acting. Which again, now that I'm thinking about it, in high school, of course you do high, musicals because that's what a lot of high schools do. And we did plays also, but we did a lot of musicals. And I knew that I didn't that I wanted to go to a school about acting because I think people can get trapped in musical theater and I know as a director, I look at always actors first and then singers, always. So I wanted to be a better actor. So I went to that school and then (laughs) – funny because I went to that school and then in the third year, the national tour of Greece came through and we all – a bunch of us went to audition. I got offered the Broadway company to come and understudy, which brought me back – which brought me to New York Hmm. to uh, understudy. Then that started my acting. So literally you got out of school and had a part? I didn't even go to graduation because I was was, (laughs) – I I had gotten an offer. I'll never forget this. The Alley Theater came up to the school, came came up to audition the students. It was like a thing that they did every year. Mm -hmm. I was offered to do The Boy in the Happy Time at the Alley Theater and the play. Oh. And the play, not the musical. Okay, I was going to say yeah. if the candor and ebb thing started. <laughs> yeah, I know how weird way is back that? Then. How weird is yeah. that? No, it was the play. I I flew down to to uh, Houston, auditioned for the head of the the theater. They gave me the role. Came back to Chicago. At that time, I got a, a call saying you got hired as an understudy for Greece in New York. And I went, oh man, now what? And I thought, you know what? I'm going to New York and being on Broadway. And I'll never forget, I had to write that guy a letter. And he wrote me a very nice, respectful letter back. But he said, I suspect you'll have a long career in this, in this business. You should learn that when you make a commitment, you should stick with the commitment. Hmm. He said, I wish you luck. But you should stick with that commitment because I had accepted the job, you hmm. know. And I, I've always remembered that because, and I actually, I, I believe that, you know. But you're not going to tell him, you know, an, an, a 20 year old kid, you know, who's about to go on a Broadway in New York, you know, come down to the to the Houston and do a play. It wasn't happening. So how long did you do Greece for? Okay, so this is a interesting story. So I came in. I was an understudy for Greece. Um, 
and I had I was understudy for four roles. Now at that time, I was coming from this theater school where we, you know, did voice exercises and we warmed up and I had gone a decrease and they'd been running for five years. These people were not, were way past that. And I, you know, they looked at me like I was some alien, you know, I do my exercises. Like what? Did you want to discuss your character (laughs) with them all? I mean, really what, it was like, what the hell are they, is he doing? And, uh, so I went on, uh, for the first time for duty, I remember, which was a role I was right for. But I was also understudying other other roles and the put-ins were so ridiculously quick and they didn't care. It was They were long in and I was cast – I mean I had to go on for one of the roles that I was totally not right for and not really prepared for. So it happened that the producer was in the audience that day. I got a call to come into this off, the office and I was fired. I was fired. Now, now, so you had been in it for how long? I had been in it for – Probably f- four months, maybe. Okay, maybe in four wow. months. Yeah, and you talk about you know, boy, waking up to the business of show business and like the reality of oh my god, what I just got fired from my first show in New York. I mean, it was really devastating. You can imagine, but I'll never forget. It was the Royal Theater, and I came back. I didn't know what I was so like. Shaken, I went down into the basement of the Royal Theater and found this little cubby hole, and I sat there and I sort of broke down. I just was like this kid who was like, "Wow, oh, man, what now? What?" And I remember thinking, "Well, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I should. should maybe I should, this is a sign I should not be doing this." Because everything else up till then had worked was, very nice, great. Yeah. And I thought, "Well, this is the big times, and this is this is not working." And uh, but I remembered sitting there thinking, "You know what? You got to pull yourself up." And and get going, and that's what I did, and uh, it was a good it was a good lesson. So, how long did it take you before you got your next gig? Well, my next gig was at the Seventy Eighth Street Theater Lab. There was no money. It was with a, a woman named Dana Zeller, and her husband Mark directed it. It was a showcase, basically. Back to two characters, <laughs> uh, Mr. Dalia's lover, and it was a. Glorious experience and I remembered why I loved theater Hmm. and that brought me back to sort of life as far as, oh, okay, this is why I love theater. And and then from then, everything else started happening and, uh, you know, got back on track and everything was great. Well – you ended up in terms of new musicals. You you went into you were created a role in a little remembered musical called Musical Chairs. That's right. <laughs> um, with Susan Stroman was in the show as well. She was in the show and she choreographed it or co choreographed it. So, so in this period, were you picking up you know stock jobs and yeah. things like that? Commercials, mm-hmm. regional theater stuff. I was, I was, I was making a living. You know, probably not a great one, but I remember I was making a living. I was, I was, I was making a living at doing theater, and mm-hmm. I thought, oh, this is this is pretty cool. You know, with the ups and downs of shows closing and, and changing, but but musical chairs is where I met Stro, and of course that you know our relationship started there, and then it, you know we sort of went on this path to you know things really started popping for mm-hmm. us, and certainly in terms of. Your acting career, it seems like The Rink was was the biggest show. Absolutely. This, the Rink was was just – still I can look back and say that first rehearsal walking in to a Candor and Epp show with Liza Minnelli and Cheetah Rivera, John and Fred sitting on the piano singing through their score with Liza and Cheetah and five guys was probably I, – I remember thinking – Okay, this is it. I got, I made it. You know, I'm and and in a fact, I I had in a way. Sure. I mean, it's a kid from Virginia, and here here I am sitting in this room. It was, it was truly one of the most glorious, wonderful. It just was a great experience, and and who knew it was that relationship with John and Fred was going to change my life at that moment. But at that time, that was a joyous experience, and I loved every. I never missed a show. I was like um, – I just just couldn't wait to get to the theater. I refused to go on vacation. I just wanted to do that show. Just hmm. wanted to do the show and uh, and you know, and that's how my 
career as a director started. So it was an important part, not as, as an actor, but as my career as an act director. You just made the comment that that's how your career as a director started. What's striking to me is a few minutes ago you said you knew from the time you were very young you were going to be an actor. Here you are, the real Broadway break, big musical, Cheetah and Liza, Candor and Ab. Within three years of that, you began directing. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what changed in your mindset? Now, maybe there were some some other directing credits that, that I'm not aware no, of, but I look to Floor of the Red Menace and yeah. say, so so where did that come from? Yeah. And why did you want to do that? You know, it's a great question, and I'm trying to remember what that what that change was. I was had been we had been performing. I, I as a kid, I listened to Floor of the Red Menace. I always loved it because it dealt with communism, and it was the '30s, and I thought that was so cool. And I, I, I remember that conversation going up to John and Fred, and 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 saying, you know, I have you ever thought of doing Floor of the Red Menace? They say it was our first show. We loved it. No, and I said I think it should be done again. And they said great. And, then, and I said, and I, I would like to direct it. And they said, have you ever directed anything before? And I said, no. And I don't know what that was at that moment. I don't know why. Maybe it was the circumstance. Maybe it was the opportunity. But it was something, I think in the back of my head as a kid, you know, you sort of direct your neighbors to do stuff and you do. I mean, there's something, I guess, there was a little seed that was always thought it would be interesting. But I'm not quite sure why it clicked at that moment. I think mainly it was an opportunity. I knew Candor and Ebb was there, that this was a piece I liked, and I would probably get an opportunity to do it if I really took the ball and ran with it. Well, what did you have to do to get the opportunity? Because certainly you didn't have a relationship with Roundabout. You'd never directed before. How do you convince someone – I mean you had the support of Candor and Ab, which certainly gave gave you some credibility. But but what did you have to say to the people at the Vineyard Theater to say, okay, sure. Forget the Vineyard Theater. How about Sam Cohen who at that time was (laughs) a major, major agent and was John and Fred's agent. John – they gave me Sam's phone number and I had to call Sam Cohen and say – Hi, my name is Scott Ellis, which he knew who I was because I was in the show, and I'd like to get the rights for Floor of the Red Menace. That's what I had to so do. So you, you actually I acquired the I rights. I had acquired the rights. In fact, I tell this, I've told this story a couple of times. I got – at the end of the whole process, I actually even hired a lawyer because I thought I deserved to own a piece of Floor of the Red Menace, which by the way, I do. Huh. And mainly because I owe that to John and Fred because they were like, what the hell are you talking about? You've never directed anything. And this was before it opened. But I said, you know what? I've worked really hard for three years on this piece and if it's successful, I feel I owe something. I should get something out of it. But at that moment, it was just this kid who was like, I want to direct this 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 musical. And, uh, and so it wasn't convincing John and Fred and Sam was basically, well, John and Fred wants this. I could get, get you, we'll get to give you the rights. And it's not as if the show had been getting countless productions. No, it was never. It was dead. It was yeah. dead. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that complicated. But at the time, there was a uh, a friend of mine, Tommy Thompson, David Thompson, his uh, Tommy, who, who's a writer, and then Susan Stroman, who I knew from Musical Chairs. And I told John and Fred, I have two friends that I think are really talented, and I'd like to work with them. And again, they're like, I'm sure they were thinking, what the hell are we doing here? Working with this guy who's never directed. Now he's bringing in two friends, you know, like, okay. And we sat around. Again, it's just uh, incredibly wonderful memories of this. We sat around Fred Ebb's kitchen table for a couple years and worked on that show and and would meet every month and the three of us would just talk and – well, the five of us. We would just sit and talk and, and hmm. work through the show. And then the Vineyard Theater was uh, – we sent it to the Vineyard Theater and uh, and Doug Abel said said yes. I sent it to the York Theater Company first because I, I did a couple of musicals there as an actor. So I thought, well, this is perfect. And they, they said no to it. Hmm. I was like, hmm, OK. Uh, but we sent it to Vineyard and they said yes. And then uh, that's sort of how it all started, you know, because then it was successful and that opened the doors for us, all of us. A couple of years later, again, you returned to the work of Candor and Ebb, this time to create a show yes. out of their songs. And I'm wondering 
why you you felt they were ready for for a review or anthology or whatever you you choose to call it because certainly many of the shows had been great successes right. um what what possessed you to say we want to i want to take a lot of the music and mix it together it was really simple we wanted to work together again that was that was it mm-hmm. it was we had an inc- great time that was that was a great experience. I forgot to say that uh, I remember the one moment when I was in tech, we talked about the directing and if this – and I had no intention on continuing to direct. Hmm. I was going to go do a show, which I ended up doing at the uh, Paper Mill Playhouse, the uh, revival of Mac and Mabel. I was an actor and I got cast in that and I had no intention on continuing to direct. But when I was in a in a dark theater during tech, John Kander, I'll never forget it, came up to me behind my shoulder and he said, you're really good at this. Hmm. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I'm good, but I know I'm comfortable. I know at that moment in a dark theater teching a show, I was comfortable being there. Hmm. And that's when it really clicked for me. I ended up going to do the other show and I do remember being on stage going, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go direct. And it really was. You just said, that's it. That's it. Acting. Done. And that was it. That's the last thing I did. It was hmm. like that to me. It was like I'm going to make a decision. I'm now going to direct. And that was that was it. That was all it was. Hmm. You know. And uh, so The World Goes Round came out of Floor of the Red Menace only because the three of us wanted to work with John and Fred again. That was it. And what can we do? What, what are we going to do? You know what? They had a one review called t- Two – Two by five, two by two by five. It was a early, early review that they did. I'm forgetting what it's called now. So I knew they didn't really have. I mean, Sondheim at that time had several. So I said, I said to Stro and Tommy, let's try to play around with this and see what we can do. And again, we didn't have John and Fred involved with it that much because we didn't need them. We needed all of their music. They gave us everything they'd ever written, and we spent a year just sifting through it. And I was friends with Olympia Takakis because I had did a play called Billy Bishop Goes to War at her theater. And she had said, if you ever are interested in doing something, because at the time I was going to direct Flora. Uh, and she said, I didn't know you liked directing. I said, yeah, I'm sort of playing around with it. She said, well, if you ever have anything, come back. And so this I, is when she was running the whole theater the whole in New theater Jersey. In New yep. Jersey. So w- we went back to Olympia and they produced The World Goes Round at – at the whole theater, and uh, and it was a success, and we we brought it in, hmm. and it became a, a long running success, success. And that, and it's just funny how those things sort of just just sort of you know continue your, the work. Todd Haynes saw the world goes round, and he called me in, and he was at the roundabout, and he talked to me about maybe directing a show there. How Prince saw Floor of the Red Menace and The World Goes Round was going to do a little night music at a City, City Opera, Opera yeah. couldn't do it, said, I know this guy who could do it. They called me. I came in for an interview. I said – they gave me the job. I said, Stro, come on in and do this for me. And uh, and and Sondheim had also seen Floor of the Red Menace. So they were all supportive of it. Hmm. And that's how that happened. And then – she loves me happen because of my relationship that him, uh, Todd seeing the world goes around and offering me uh, to do a show there, and I brought she loves me to him. Well, she loves me was a great success at Roundabout mm-hmm. and and transferred commercially yes. after that. What was interesting was it was a show that hadn't been seen by a lot of people in a long time, and and some of it was obviously the production and the casting were all terrific, and part of it was. For for at least a generation of people, it was a new show. Yeah, they just not had a chance to see that that intimate musical. Right. I mean, people talk about musicals all the time. As far as oh, what's which one's the best? Which one? But I, I think it's I think it's certainly top five of sort of the perfect musical. It's an incredible book. That music is spectacular. That story is great. It's it's uh, it's pretty perfect, you know, when you really look at it. And I just, again, I just always liked the story. And Roundabout had never done a musical before, so 
that was a huge, huge jump for them. Huge. Hmm. Yeah. That was that was something. That was scary for them. And you don't know these things until years later, but you know, he said, you know that if that hadn't worked, we would have we would have been in deep, deep trouble. No, I didn't know that at the time. Hmm. And they didn't know because I mean they didn't even know why you needed two rehearsal pianists. I mean they knew nothing about hmm. musicals. Nothing. And I was the story. It was like it was just so much. It was constantly, why do we need this? Why do we need this? Why do and and one time they stopped asking. They just and I went, oh, they've just sort of thrown up their arms and they're praying now because <laughs> it was just like what you know nothing we could do. We just better. And it, thank God it worked out for everybody. Huh. But then the follow up with Roundabout again was Picnic, yeah. which you mentioned earlier. When you do a musical. There's a huge team of people that you're working with and you've already talked about the relationship with Stroh and and there's a lot of people around you. When you go to do a play, yeah. you don't have all – you don't have a musical director. You don't have a choreographer. You don't have a ranger. Especially with it's, the playwright who wasn't alive. It's, the playwright who's not alive. <laughs> it's all on you. Yeah. What yeah. was the experience of, it, of doing that? It was it was scary. It was a scary. I mean, here I was doing my first play. I was working with some you know some pretty top actors: Larry Brigman, Deborah Monk. Uh, but I got to tell you a funny story. I yeah. remember talking to Todd when, yeah. before that show went up, and he was telling me about the cast. And I said, "Well, who are playing the the kids?" And he said, "I don't really know them. They're a girl named Ashley Judd and." He said, do you know who she is? I said, well, she did this very respected independent movie called Ruby in Paradise. He said, oh, OK. You were, he said, yeah, everybody else around here is excited about her. I, I didn't see it. So, so it's very interesting now when you look back. You're mentioning Larry Brigman and most people would say Ashley Judd. Ashley but that Judd. was her state. Well, and I'm only saying that yeah. because at the time, Ashley hadn't really done exactly. anything. No, it's, it's interesting. You know, in, in, I was in thinking of these other actors who had done plenty. You know, yeah. And I was scared of them. I wasn't scared of Ashley because she hadn't done anything yet. Uh, but yes, it was a very different, great, wonderful experience. But it was very, very different, you know. And uh, and people always say, "Oh, you go back to plays, musicals, you know. What do you like?" I said, "Listen, I love them all." And uh, but they are different. They're very, very different. The collaboration is different. Everything is different about them. And uh, but that was uh, that was pretty unique. Hmm. That was pretty unique. Let's jump ahead to company. Yeah. Which, again, was a show which at that point had not been revived, had not been seen since the original production. You got an extraordinary cast for people yeah. who don't remember that first yeah. revival. Boyd Gaines, Jane Krakowski, Kate Burton, Vianne Cox, LaShawns, Deborah Monk, to name just yeah. some of the cast. Yeah. I mean really amazing. Yeah. Um, and presumably you needed the approval of Mr. Sondheim. Yes. Yeah. Was was did you did you have to pitch it to him at all? You know what was great? That's what we were talking a little earlier. That's when I really realized uh Sondheim, Steve goes for actors first. It's never about the singing, ever, ever, ever. It's always about the acting. I mean, yes, you got to sing, but that was what was so incredible about that whole process because of course Steve was involved and uh the casting was was wonderful, but but he was very supportive of the actors coming in to do the show, not just mm-hmm. singers. It was about acting first, and that was uh, I really learned from that. I also say there most composers are just remarkable, remarkable. But you sort of always want to be in the room when they're working with the actors, just because you want to be able to, you know. Just in case they say something or they're not able to talk to an actor the way they need to be talked to. And Sondheim was the only – one of the only ones that I never – I could walk out the door and feel 100 percent safe. For whatever reason, he knows how to – he really knows how to talk with actors. He obviously knows his songs. But he always talks to them from a character point of view, always, always, always character point of view. And – so it was it was really remarkable to to listen to that and hear that and to to be around that. It was really he, he approached those things as little you know acting vignettes, not about hmm. a song at a distance of some fourteen years. I remember that there was a lot in the press about company about some struggles that Boyd Gaines was yeah. having at the time yes. and was that the first time in your directing experience that you sort of had the public exposure of is this show in trouble yeah. um, and how did how did you deal with that 
for yourself, for your company, for roundabout's sake? It was a it was a again, and I, I keep saying this. It was an incredibly wonderful experience. I'm lucky as a director because as I think directors can create their own atmosphere, and I tend to hopefully create nice atmospheres. It was a great experience. Boyd started having vocal problems during the previews, and uh, and it turned out to be. Acid reflux, I think. Years, I mean, they found out that before think, we knew what it we, was. Before or, we or knew heard what about it was. the purple pill or exactly. any of that. But at the time, he just wasn't getting better, and so we had to put the understudy on Jim Clow, and uh, and we kept hoping he would get better, and and he came, he would come in for a little bit and then leave again, come in, leave again. It was very tough for all of us, especially for board. It was just a really painful experience, and we had a producer. We. Uh, Got very nice reviews and a great great review in the Times and we had a producer who wanted to move it to Broadway. But he wanted to move it without Boyd. Hmm. And I said – I was going to have a really hard time with that because we had worked as a company. I said if Boyd can't do it, if he comes back and he can't sing it and he can't do it, OK. Obviously, I'm not going to force you. But you got to give him that chance. And I think he was gambling the board wasn't going to be able mm. to do it. I was gambling he was. And we kept in conversation. There was literally an ad I still have in my office in the New York Times announcing that it was moving. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, tickets on sale. Yeah. I have that, I have with, that ad. With the cast announced with, or no just announced, the show? Just mm-hmm. the show. And Boyd came back in the show and he uh, he was great. He sounded great. He was great. Great, mm-hmm. and I turned to the producer. I said, "Well, there it is. You know, there it is." And he said, "No," he said, "We we got to get someone else." And I also, he wasn't even a star. The actor he wanted to replace him with was not a star. It was like, mm. okay, I could even sort of understand if you wanted to bring a name, but you're just getting another actor. And uh, I'll never forget it. I, I had a I had a conversation. I pulled the company together, and I just said, you know, I've made a decision, and we're – I don't – we're not moving on. I said I would do this for any of you. But we started this as a company and we're going to finish it as a company. And we've had a great experience and a great run and that's what we're going to end it with. And I said I'm not not doing it. Wow. And I – it was the first time that I had it – not the first time you stand up. But I do remember it was it was tough. It was not an easy decision for me. I, you know, God, come on. I wanted it. To move, and but I, I was not going to do that for an actor who had proven to himself, had come back, and was great, hmm. and I wasn't going to do it. So uh, the, 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 it did not move, and and I don't regret that that for one second. Hmm. Well, let's come back to Candor and Ebb, the yeah. recurring themes of your career. Yeah. Uh, Steel Pier, and I noticed that you have a credit for conceiving uh-huh. Steel Pier. Yep. So. Again, was this a case of you all just wanted to work together again? It really was. We're just constantly <laughs> looking for stuff to do. I mean, it really was that simple. You know, when you find in this business, when you find people you want to work with, and I work with people a lot. The same. I mean, I've worked with Boyd a lot and Deb a lot. And well, I was going to ask you about your other good luck yeah. charm because Deborah Monk yeah. is all yeah, over I mean, your please. resume. I just, but I love you when you. People say, well, you work with the same people. I said, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I want to work with talented, wonderful people who are great in the room, who I love? I do it with designers. I do it with actors. I mean, I love meeting new people, of course. But if I think they're right for it, why not? You know, hmm. so um, Steel Pier was just something. We, we were really interested in doing something from scratch, not based on anything. Well, that's not true. We've tried to find... We tried to get the rights for they shoot horses, don't they? That's what we were going after. We kept trying, trying, and we could not get them. And then we were so interested in the whole environment and that world because we had done so much research. We all sat down and said, you know what? Let's let's just do our own. Let's let's t- let's let's tell a story. Hmm. So that's how we started. That's how that 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 started. I mean, listen, we you know. In, Hindsight, you know, musicals are really difficult and to do one not based on something is even more difficult. I'm not sure if I would ever do it again because you have no base to come back to and that base is so important. Listen, there's no guarantee on anything but it makes it very difficult. There's so When you look in the history of musical theater, there are very few of them that are not based on something and there's a reason for that. 
but it was still an incredibly wonderful challenge and and experience to work on something from scratch with just an idea, mm-hmm. just something an idea. Did you go out of town with that show? I no, don't recall. we did not. So it was not. it was a brand new from scratch musical opening directly. And by the way, another thing that you learn, you go, <laughs> oh my god, you know, by opening straight up in New York, it's it's. Uh, and let me tell you, this was before the internet. I can't imagine, you know, that hideous thing now. You know that the the the, the, the those people getting on that stuff talking. I mean, I don't imagine. In those days, you got letters. People would drop you letters backstage telling them, telling you what they thought and what you should do to change it. Yeah, <laughs> so you get letters. Um, but but yes. they weren't posted for the world to see. No, no, that's true. They were not posted for the world to see. So there's huh. something a little more gentle about it. But no, you did, we did not go out of town. In looking over the great cast of that show, I was struck by two names that popped out. Mm-hmm. Casey Nicola and Andy Blankenbuehler yeah. were in the company. Yes. Now, at you as an actor who decided to become a director, at the time that you worked with them, did you have did did you have any inkling? Do you know if they had any inkling? Since we should say Casey has as a director and choreographer, Andy as choreographer. choreographer. Yeah. Um, you know, what is this theme of people coming out of the chorus and becoming well, I directors? Think, I think it's uh, – I mean I think directors who come out of being working actors I feel are in a really good place because they've been there. They understand actors. They understand the world and, and how, how, how it works. So uh, I had no – of course you have no clue – you know that they were interested at the time. Who knows if they were or not? Maybe they were, and you know, but hmm. they were just doing their job. They were both wonderful to be to have there and to be in the shows, and, and wonderful. To, but uh, no, it was <laughs> no, we didn't didn't know. Uh, and then all of a sudden, but it is a, it is a remarkable coincidence. Yes, yes you absolutely. Know, to have had not one, but but two. two. Absolutely, they've done very well. Yeah. So as as we're skipping through things, sort of quickly, you you had just made the comment about you like to have. Uh, a pre- pre-existing material to fall back on. So Tom Sawyer, right? Uh, clearly, there was a spine there yes. that that you knew. When did you come into that? That was not something you can see. Was that already no? Written that was already that you were hired. Yeah, to that do? was hired. Yeah, that was that was that was way down the line. And that was actually a, a really that was sort of a cool experience because we went out of town in New Haven without the set. The set was too big. Uh, hi, uh, Heidi Ettinger did the set, beautiful set, and. Uh, we had to go out of town and it was really interesting because we took the basic stuff and took out of town and it was New Haven and it was uh, it was actually a, a, you know it was sort of your, your your the story that you hear you know we didn't the opening number wasn't working let's write an opening number we open a number in New Haven we try it out it works you know it's that type of stuff that was sort of uh, that was really really fun and uh, but that was brought that was much later on I tend now. To like to get involved much sooner, you know, with the shaping of it, because by the time you get down to a certain point in them, you know, they have their, the life is sort of moved on. You know, they they have their own life and mm-hmm. they're moving on. When you're getting there from the very beginning, it's a it's a, I think there's a little bit more control to be able to really, you know, shape it. At that time, you know, things have really had settled in quite a lot. Mm-hmm. I want to ask about another musical review, The Look of Love, using uh, the music of Backrack and David. Now, as I remember the story, there was a production originally on the West Coast uh, that was supposed to come to Roundabout. That version was nixed. It was nixed because they were trying to do a storytelling with it, which no one thought that had worked. Mm -hmm. No one thought that had worked. Uh, so the idea was let's take their music. Both of them were really keen on, on, on doing that. And again, with with all shows, success or failures, whatever they are, and everyone has them, you can look back and go, it's so interesting. You can look back and go, okay, was there a road that one turned on that was like, oh, that was probably the wrong path to go down, down. And there are certainly mm-hmm. ones that you look and go, oh, I made that choice. That was a great path to go down. That was, that was, that was pretty successful. Uh, but on that road, when you look back, the whole idea from the very beginning was to do it – I kept saying drinks in hand. I want to do it Studio 54, drinks in hand. It was really important that you had a drink in the hand hmm. and that's what I kept saying. And it just – as those things happen, just slowly, OK, it's not available. You know, you can't get in that theater for a long time. Uh, 
cabaret, you know, what, whatever things. So, so where do we go? What do we do? And then it sort of changes. So by the time we ended up doing it, it was done on a Broadway stage in a way that it shouldn't have been done. You know, you look at it and go, no, you need a drink in hand with Burt Bacharach music. You need to in be in that world of just enjoying it. It's it's not heavy stuff. You know, it's fun. And I think that was a mistake that we made. I think it, it could have had a, a much better life had we not presented it as a Broadway musical of review. It just was never – it should have been, like I said, a drink in hand. That's hmm. all I say. I was reading um, that – Oscar Hammerstein once told Stephen Sondheim when he was very young that every song in a musical should be like a one-act play. Mm-hmm. It should be complete unto itself. And I would think one of the challenges with the right. Backrack and David songs is they weren't written in that Absolutely. style or for that place. Absolutely. Which is why ultimately it wasn't working as a storytelling review. I mean story when it was they were trying to put story to it. It was like, well, you, what are the characters here? But on the same hand, it wasn't quite working in the review because unlike The World Goes Round, which those stories of Candor and Epp can really stand on their own, their story, this was really not. Some of them were. Mm-hmm. But again, I just keep going back. You've been successful with drink in hand. And I don't mean because you, you're drunk by <laughs> no, the end of it. No, just the spirit of it. just the spirit of it. The 60s very, cocktail 60s mentality. Yeah. It's just – it's a whole different thing and then uh, we should have st- – we should have stuck with that. It's funny you talk about paths and different and different things. When when we were so interesting, when we going back to Williamstown, I did a uh, uh, this Kenny Lonergan play up there uh, with Eileen Heckard, which became the Waverly, Eileen, Gallery. the Waverly Gallery, which became Eileen's last last show. And Eileen up in up there had had left the show. She had sort of had a, a little breakdown and had left the show in mid. Performance, not been performance, but in the midweek. But when we ended up bringing it into New York, it was a real decision of do you go back to her? I mean, she sort of left the production, you know. Hmm. And I said, you know what? I think we need to go back to her. I think it's really important. She's brilliant. Let's go back to her. And those decisions, you know, you go back on that path. It would have been a totally different show without Eileen Heckert. I don't think it would have been as successful. Maybe it would have, but the fact that we took that path and we pulled Eileen back into that show and that play, and that was a big part of why it was successful. Certainly, Kenny's writing was brilliant, but uh, it's just funny. You can go back to those a lot of the shows, and you think I took I took this path. I took a right. I took a left. Sometimes that path is correct. Sometimes it's not. You know. And had I not gone with Eileen, it would have been I think a very different experience. So you probably can find it in every single show a director does. I think. Hmm. Well, as we. As you're talking about plays, I want to talk about what would seem to be the most successful um, of the plays that you directed, which was Twelve Angry Men, right. which was revelatory to people in, in, in a fascinating way because though the movie was etched in people's memory and there had even been a TV movie remake of it, um, people thought they'd seen it on stage, but there would yeah. never been – a professional New York stage production of Twelve Angry Men. Mm-hmm. And what was it like to to attack that piece? Well, first of all, when I – and I give credit to Nicky Martin back to Williamstown. We were out vacationing once. He said, you know a play that I think really works is Twelve Angry Men. I was like, really? He said, yeah. So I thought, yeah, I should do a reading of it. So I sort of went to Todd. I said, let's do a reading of Twelve Angry Men at the Roundabout for subscribers. He said, OK. So I got the script – but the script that I got was the script that had been around forever. Well, we should say that the script was something that was done really for high school. Exactly. It, was it wasn't a, even it was Reginald a, it didn't even write it. Adaptation yeah. by the owner of the publishing That's house. That's right. Right. Had done it. So horrible. Yeah. I mean, I read it and went, "Well, I can't do this." I was in it in high school. <laughs> what did you play? <laughs> I want to know. I believe I was juror number three. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I. I basically looked at that script and thought, this is impossible. Oh, I know because I knew Harold Pinter did a production of this in London 10 years early. And I thought, there's no way Harold Pinter did this production. So I tracked down that script through Ellen, uh, his wife, and uh, through the estate and all that stuff. And then I went, oh, okay. Well, this is a good script. So we did the reading at Roundabout. It, It was written with an intermission. We did it with an intermission. 
it worked. You could feel it. It worked. But then I said, OK, let's do this. But the challenge was, of course, I did a reading with 12 chairs sitting in front of an audience. I thought, what the hell am I going to do? You know, and that one's like, I, what am I going to do? And I even went as far as getting – tracking down the set, the set of what Harold Pinter did because I hmm. thought, I'll just steal from Harold Pinter. I don't care because I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. But Harold had t- taken three tables and it, with a horseshoe hmm. and I went, well, I, we, we know that's not – that's not how it is. So I finally just accepted I have to do this play around a table. And it was it was probably the biggest challenge I've ever had and uh, probably the most rewarding because it was very difficult. People always – when people saw it, I think some people were like, well, what did you do? You have 12 people walking around and she's like, you have no clue how difficult it is to have 12 people move around and sit at a table and, and guide them so that an audience can, can look at them. And what was unbelievably challenging with it was that. But what made it so unique and special because of the movie – and the movie tells you obviously where to look. That camera, when you go back to the movie, that camera is on Henry Fonda a lot. On the play, of course, you see all 12. You can watch whoever you want. But you see it as a group, not as an individual but as a group and that's what made the experience different from the film and and unique enough to go, oh, this is sort of – who knew? Who knew? Well, what's also interesting, I mean Pinter went back really to the movie script and when he did it, Reginald Rose was still alive. So and they Reginald went and worked on it. To, to, to work on it. But essentially took the movie script that's right. and, and put it on stage. It's an interesting – you're talking about the physicality and the challenge of the show. What's also difficult is you only know enough about the characters to serve the plot points. Right. So creating the distinct – the 12 distinct, distinct people, people without – I mean some of the people you get the backstory on. Right. Some of them you know very no. little about. And, and you don't know anyone's name. It's only the it's jury. They're number one no through one. twelve, and that is it. And you get you get very little backstory on them, very little of any of that. And you have to create full characters from that uh, piece. And I was very smart when I did it. I think I made eight offers of those twelve guys. I think there were eight actors who I did not audition because I said there is no way I'm, I knew the type of actors I needed to make this work. And I went back to a lot of the people I'd work with, Larry Brigman, Boyd Gaines. You know, I just went through my list and went, these are really great actors. Uh, go and make them an offer. You used the Scott Ellis Rep Company. <laughs> my and rep if company. only there'd been a female role, Deborah Monk <laughs> would have been in it. Would have been, the, been there. So I've got to jump quickly <laughs> to curtains because yeah. we were talking about when you become involved in a project. Yes. When did you get involved in the development and the creation of curtains? Years, years, years earlier. That curtains had been around forever. It was uh, Peter Stone had written the original book. It had been floating around. When we created The World Goes Round, they were musical numbers from Curtain that we didn't ultimately use. But it was a show at that time called Who Killed David Merrick. That was the title of the the show. Hmm. And it just kept floating. Nothing ever happened to it. Nothing happened to it. And I finally went to John and Fred and said, why don't we just do a reading of this? Let's just do a reading of it. And see what you ha- what you have here. David was still uh, uh, was still alive. Uh, Peter, I'm sorry, Peter Stone was still alive. And um, we did a reading of it. And I said, I thought, you know, at least let them hear it. And it was very very long. And uh, it didn't really work. And uh, it was we started working on it. And then when Peter passed away, it was really like, well, now what do we do? Now what do we do? And uh, I said to John and Fred, do you want to go forward with this? And they said, yes. I said, then we need another writer. You know, They thought it was only just someone to do a little tinkering. I knew it needed to be a major mm-hmm. restructure. And so Rupert Holmes was brought on board and that collaboration started. And then sadly, Freddie passed away, which was devastating mm-hmm. for everybody. And it was horrible for me and because of everything that we had started and did together and uh, I mean for everybody it was horrible for everybody and and then that was yet one more decision John do you want to move forward with this piece do you hmm. and he said yes and so we continued so talk about involvement that was a, that was a major involvement from the very beginning and I uh, I 
I pushed that up a hill. I was not going to let that thing go. You know, mm-hmm. I just pulled it right up there and, you know, did it. And it was great. Well, as we draw to a close, we've already spoken about the fact that you're about to begin uh, the rehearsals on Mr. and Mrs. Fitch for second stage. Mm-hmm. You seem like somebody who usually must know what comes next. Is, is, there, <laughs> is there anything else you can talk about that, that you're going to be working on after that? I, d- I do. There are a couple of things. I'm, I'm going to go back out and executive produce Weeds again for the, another season. I have a new play that uh, I will be doing at the uh, – it looks like I'll be doing at second stage and another play that Rupert Holmes is doing that I think we're going to premiere at the arena stage uh, mm-hmm. next January. How great. Well, we will look forward to all of those and I just want to thank you, Scott Ellis, for being our guest today on Downstage Center. Thanks. It was a real pleasure. Our engineer for this Downstage Center program is Chad Bernhard. Our researcher is Craig Thompson. Our director of web development is Rob Perry. And our producer is Gail Yankosik. Downstage Center is recorded in the CUNY TV radio studio at the City University of New York's Graduate School of Journalism in Manhattan. Along with this program, all of the educational and media work of the American Theatre Wing is available online, on demand, for free from americantheaterwing.org. You can follow ATW on Twitter at The Wing and follow me as well on Twitter as H.E. Sherman. You can also declare yourself as one of our fans on Facebook at The American Theatre Wing. If you're a regular listener to or viewer of Wing programs, we hope you'll consider giving us financial support to sustain our work. Just visit our website and click on Support ATW. For Downstage Center in the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman. Thanks for listening, and no matter where you live, I hope we'll see you at the theater.